0: This episode is made possible by our generous patrons.
1: Episode 108 of the Ink to Film Podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm a Ravenclaw. And I'm a Gryffindor. And this week, we discuss J.K. Rowling's 1999 novel, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Now, James, do you solemnly
0: swear that you are up to no good? Constantly. Always. <laughs> so many fun anecdotal things I want to say right off the bat. So this, okay. this is my first Harry Potter book that I ever got somebody really? purchased this for me as a gift yeah
1: oh cool it's an interesting gift like here you go book three
0: <laughs> right exactly i don't think they really realized right what, what the sequence was it was selling really well so i think it was just one of those situations where they're like this is a great kid's book get this for james so uh-huh. i actually read this one before reading one and two
1: that was gonna be my follow-up question okay so interesting so i wonder how it read for that way like not knowing anything about the first two
0: i couldn't tell you my my exact thoughts from when i was like seven years old but yeah yeah it uh i mean i loved it clearly and i i was like i i read it devoured it multiple times and then just went back to the other two that were out and just interesting you know and
1: and so this is my we talked about this in our previous coverage of the last two but this is my first time reading this novel like this is one i hadn't i'd read the first two but not this one yet so Mm -hmm. uh this was a fun experience for me, you know, and it, it added a lot of texture, it added additional details, uh, to what I remembered from the movie, also, I realized I had forgotten a lot of stuff from the movie, like, I couldn't have, now I know the plot well, because, you know, we just read it, but, like, every time something would happen, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, like, I, I I had constantly forgotten that those things happened, so, it was cool, because I got to get some of that surprise back, and, and, uh, yeah, honestly, just a lot of that. I, this was still at a time where I was unsure about Harry Potter. Um, we've talked about, you know, in our previous episodes how I was uh, kind of not a fan. Like, it was like, oh, this is kid stuff, you know, and I was a little too old at the time. And But I was seeing the movies, and I remember going into this one going, oh, this is another one of those, like... Because they're very, like, kid-friendly movies, those first two. And I was mm-hmm. expecting it to be the same kind of thing. And then, so I, so I kind of went in not not expecting to like the movie or not expecting to really care that much. Like, oh, this is something for my, you know, younger siblings or whatever. But um, I remember being surprised by the movie and, and actually liking it. But that that process of having to, like, come around and change the way I was feeling about it, um, I think, affects the way I remember it. And I don't know how many times I've actually seen this movie since. Like, I might have just seen it once or twice. So, it's and it's been a while. So, it's pretty fresh for me.
0: Yeah, and this is this is a transition period in in these stories too. So it's kind of like I'm I'm interested to hear like your adult perspective on it because it is yeah. like kind of the the changing of childhood into like more adolescent adulthood type scenarios in this one, and then and then I think it sets the tone going forward. And I feel like it's the same for the movies as well. Like there is a tonal shift, and and it, it takes on a different kind of. I think it becomes a different kind of story.
1: Yeah, I mean we're dealing with more serious topics. Um, we're seeing uh our characters faced with uh I don't know, more harrowing sort of real world issues. It's less kind mm-hmm. of black and white, it's less silly at times. Um while still having a lot of that fun that that, that Harry Potter always has. Um but yeah, I mean I, I agree with that. I think that this this signifies a, a tonal shift in the series and um it was it was appropriate that they did the same thing in the film, which we'll get to
0: next week. But yeah,
1: I mean let's focus on this book.
0: I think uh one of my favorite parts of of this is that whereas the first two were there's very clear external threat external things going on this becomes more internal and it becomes more about the character of Harry Potter and like what's going on with him and dealing with grief and dealing with like a lot of like internal things. And I think that I, and I was trying to think through all of the books and all of the movies, and this is, I think the most internal of them because there is, there are threats and there are external things going on, but I think most of it is kind of reflected on the characters. I think the absence of Voldemort in this story is really specifically like I think notable for that reason. Like it's kind of just like, it's really focusing on the characters growing and, and rather than, you know, fighting Voldemort, they have to see this gray area between all of these characters. Like, is this person good? Is this person bad? What it means to kind of live in that gray area.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I I think this is also the, uh, most tightly plotted, uh, of the three novels we've, we've read so far. Um, I think this shows a lot of a lot of skill on Rowling's part in crafting this narrative and the way the reveals uh, come about and how many reveals there are and how much things had to be intricately planned to make everything work out the way that it does, Um, which we can get into when we get into the actual summary here. But um, yeah, I was impressed with, I think this is a high level of difficulty kind of book, uh, extremely high. And I think that Rowling pulls it off well and all while at the same time doing everything you
0: just talked about. So, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I read that she was most comfortable writing this third book as well. She said that really? like th- th- throughout her writing, like this one, she not she knew what she wanted to do and knocked it out in like a year from the time she started writing it to, to the end when it was published, not published, I guess, to the- when she handed in the manuscript or whatever. It was it was like a year. So she really like was, wow. I guess, in her in her groove during this one.
1: That's cool. And And honestly, this feels like she's hitting her stride with this with this story you know what I mean like this is I honestly I feel like with these these novels that we're getting into now especially this one uh, you know and we'll see as we progress forward but I don't know that Harry Potter would be as much of a phenomenon with the lasting power that it has if it didn't make this pivot right because it's so essential to this story having the longevity that it does for people
0: and she just nails it I think for for me, a major thing that I was realizing because at this point, I know the plot so well and I, I know what's going to happen next. And like there will be little things here and there that I didn't remember 100%. But the thing that I was really focusing on was like what it would be like to craft this story. And what I can't, I just can't get over how ingenious all of these world bu- building creations and all these little inventions she has for objects and creatures and and like rules within the world. And like her world building is just it blows me away every time. Like I just like like monster books a monster, like Marauder's Map, like Whomping Willow, yeah. all of these things that just like create a texture of a world that like is so in keeping with the same tone, too. And, yeah. you know, there's some there's some things like hippogriffs and things like that that are clearly paying homage to other things that have been in fantasy stories before, but it still fits within her world.
1: Yeah, I mean, in, in, and I think it's a blend of all of that. It's it's using existing things, it's putting new spins on them, and it's integrating it into the wizarding world that she's creating. I think you're seeing a confidence and a comfort that it, that it comes from having written two books already in this world. Um, most of the groundwork has been laid, and so now she can sort of fill in the details and fill in the fun bits. And uh, it, feels, yeah, it, it feels like an author who's having fun. Um, mm-hmm. And so therefore you have fun when you read it, um, I think this story still is, <laughs> I don't know if this was done on purpose or completely by accident, but I still think it's, it's so smartly crafted to hit you right in like certain spots that everybody, uh, finds appealing. And that's, um, we, we talked about in the past, like going to school, like like going back to school, seeing your friends again, um, you know, home away from home stuff uh you know having to go to class and having good teachers and bad teachers and and the the drama that comes with school and the relationships that come with school and uh you know back to school shopping we're gonna get into that is something that, that, that that goes on here and i don't know like it it in a way it always feels like it's so brilliantly crafted to Mm -hmm. um remind us of a moment in our lives even if it's almost like an idealized version of the things that we all went through or if you're going through them at the time for kids it's like oh hey i i recognize what this is like i'm literally doing this right now
0: (laughs) right and like and she's so smart about the way that she she progresses the story like when you get to a certain point it's like you hit this like, like nostalgia wall because you've already read these first two books. And then also just like what Hogwarts means to you, like, like I'm thinking of specifically yep. like when they're on the train and they're like, and now they're at Hogwarts and you're like, whoa, it's like the whole book just shifted into another year. You're like, they're there. They finally made it. I, I was, I'm always fascinated by those moments because they are so effective. Like it is, it is just, you're just like, oh, we're here. Here we go. Here comes the adventure. Right. Um, and I don't know. I love this stuff.
1: Cool, man. Well, so I think what we should do is I have some. I have, there's a lot of plot in this book, and I, I've divided it into four chunks. Um, they're hefty, but I think that it'll be good to read them, and we can react to them, talk about the stuff that happens in those sections, and then at the end of the at the end of the episode, we can kind of sum up our thoughts on this novel um, and prepare for the for the movie episode. But before we do that, I, I do want to talk about our uh, some a little bit of housekeeping stuff. We have recently announced a new Patreon tier, and that is our one dollar tier that will get you access to our what we're calling our, our reading prompts, which we put out periodically to give people as advanced a notice as possible. Basically, as soon as we know we're going to do something for sure, we're putting it out. Um, that way, people who, who want to get uh, a jump on the reading, because they want they like to read along with us, um, get, get as advanced a notice as possible. Um, these are just short little couple-minute things where we come on and say, hey, this is going to be a project we're doing coming up. Maybe this is the one we're going to do after that. Um, these are a new thing we're going to start doing. Um, and yeah, if you want to have access to that, it's the one dollar thing on our patreon and we hope you check it out
0: We're also going to be using this one dollar tier to do something that we're calling newsflash Which is anything that's going on within this industry of like books and film We're going to use it to react to very quickly and, and try to get an episode a couple You know, it'd be like five to ten minutes. I think
1: yeah, absolutely I mean, I hopefully people will check that out. Uh, we also have the thing we've been doing all along Which is our monthly uh adaptation adjacent episodes in which we just recorded a new one which was on the twilight zone movie from the 80s and uh man you dropped a bombshell on me in that episode i had no idea about this like crazy tragedy that happened during filming for this movie so if you want to hear about that and you want to hear me react to it like live on the episode um that's our most recent one so definitely check that out patreon.com forward slashing to film Okay, so Harry is back at the Dursleys for the summer holidays, where he sees on muggle television that a convict named Sirius Black has escaped, though with no mention of the facility he has broken out of. Harry involuntarily inflates Aunt Marge when she comes to visit after she in- insults Harry and his parents. This leads to his running away and being picked up by the night bus. He travels to the leaky cauldron where he meets Cornelius Fudge, the minister of magic, who asks Harry to stay in Diagon Alley for the remaining three weeks before the start of the school year at Hogwarts. While there, he meets his best friends, Ron Weasley and Hermione Granger. The night before Harry is expected to leave for Hogwarts, he learns from Arthur Weasley that Sirius Black is a convicted murderer in the Wizarding World, and he warns Harry that it is believed that Black will attempt to murder Harry next. On the way to Hogwarts, a Dementor boards the train, causing Harry to faint. Following the incident, the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, Remus Lupin, repels the Dementor. Harry, Ron, and Hermione learned that Dementors will be patrolling the school in an attempt to catch Black. Okay, so that's the first chunk. Uh, there's a lot there to react to, but I want mm-hmm. to know how did it feel like getting back into this novel and getting back to, uh, you know,
0: the world of Harry Potter. I mean, I-, I couldn't help but, but like, literally smile while I was reading. And Harry, like, starts off very early on. He's, like, under the covers using a flashlight to do his homework. And it reminded me of myself, like, using a flashlight to read this book as a kid and, like, stay up later right, than I should have right. been. And, like, it just, it's so nostalgic for me at this point. And then... Some of my favorite stuff in this novel have to do with like Sirius Black and and like the seeing seeing the the Grim or seeing the wolf before he gets on the night bus mm-hmm. um, has always been one of those like really mysterious beginnings and and I lo- love how he just keeps seeing it over and over. So I I also want to address like the Harry blowing up by Aunt Marge. Yeah. Because I'm I feel like the Wizarding community should have better should have better intelligence than to think like because it it keeps happening right it's like oh harry thinks he's gonna get expelled because you know at first we, we he almost gets expelled because of dobby right and then the next year he like he like is using latent magic that he doesn't even know how he's doing it to like accidentally blow up the glass that she's holding and blow her up. And you would think that, like, clearly Harry's not intentionally using spells. Like, you would. I feel like the intelligence community for the wizard should be a little bit smarter than just, like, if there's magic being used in this house with an underage wizard and no other wizards in it, then they should investigate what the spell was and if it's some sort of weird spell that like clearly he's not casting with a wand maybe they should take that into account it's just funny that like that's the drama that's added right is like oh he's going to be expelled because he accidentally did some latent magic that happened that they can clearly wipe people's minds and memories to to fix and it's not that big of a deal and yet like he's like worried he's going to be expelled but that doesn't happen in this novel it's like yeah. the 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 opposite of that right he they're like right away they're like no you're not going to. yeah it's just
1: interesting it's like they kind of back off on that i that concept i think kind of freeing this up for future stuff in the real world and uh i we also see we also see that that he's sort of a special case he gets he he kind of gets his own rules because he's
0: harry potter you know it's just funny it comes back around and like we'll talk about it i'm sure eventually when we get to book five but it's like Mm. it becomes an issue again and it's just like these like he yeah. he's in a special case, I guess, because Sirius Black for this one It's the specific. Well, reason. I
1: wanted to talk about so in the early goings here, I, I I was seeing some nice themes being built up, and and um the the Dursleys are awful, right? And we see them bullying Harry and being being awful, and and I will say the narration bullies the 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 Dursleys a little bit. Um, J.K. Rowling loves to point out how fat people are and make fun of them for it. Um, so even though these characters are reprehensible, there's still a lot of like, especially like Dudley and even like, I think Marge is supposed to be fat. Like all these people are fat and she's repeatedly pointing out how fat they are, um, to the point of where it's kind of cringy, but, but they're terrible people. So eh, maybe they kind of deserve it. I don't know. Um, regardless, I think the point of it all is it makes, it really drives home just how isolated and unloved Harry is. Right. And this is obviously setting up the absence of of any sort of like family figure that he can have outside of his friends um to make him feel like he belongs in this world and that people care about him and um it all works effectively to set up you know things that come later so i thought that was cool um there's also a nice moment where uh they're talking about sending harry to this um i think it's called the the Center for Incurable Criminal Boys, which is a funny way, something to call something, I guess. Incurable Criminal (laughs) Boys. I don't, it can't be a real place, I I wouldn't imagine, but um, unclear. Regardless, um, it's cool because they're talking about that and then there's a moment when they see Sirius and and like it's said that he kind of looks like Harry in a certain way, like something with the hair looks similar and then they're they're, they're like, they're making comparisons even like, subtextually that Harry is also potentially like being treated unfairly and treated like a prisoner. Um, and that maybe, you know, all the people who are, who are imprisoned aren't necessarily bad. Um, cause we see people like Marge and we see people like the Dursleys who are quote unquote good people being awful and going around free. And then, and then the idea that Harry is a prisoner and maybe that's unfair. I don't know. I, I felt like it was setting up some early, early ideas of like maybe everything isn't as it seems and maybe the world isn't as just as as we might want to believe it is
0: right and i think like this is jumping ahead a little bit but that also comes to even like harry's father and like what they got up to right like you think like as the reader just because Harry's so righteous and good like you're you assume anything that his dad did and everybody talks so so much about his dad um that it would all be good but come to find out you know maybe there's a gray area there as well I do like what you're saying about, like, Harry's isolation, though, and, like, how this book really, I think, is the one that deals the most with, like, the loss of his family. Because before, it's just kind of out of sight, out of mind, and slowly he's starting to get these things that, like, remind him of his family. And specifically, the the Dementor attack is when we we get the first case of Harry, like, experiencing his parents' death through, like, some flashback. Right, He he hears
1: his mother, yeah.
0: And so that, I mean, that is, like, pulling all of that baggage that he's kind of been suppressing forever and didn't really know about um, to the surface. And, like, he's dealing with that and that isolation and that needing of a family and how Hogwarts is his fam- family and his friends are his family.
1: And, and man, the uh, the Dementor is, like, one of the first, like, truly scary creatures I feel like we encounter. I mean, that's debatable, obviously, but... I mean, there's a Bastards I mean, in the They're a frightening, man. They're, um... I don't know. I find a dementor way more scary than a basilisk. Personally. What about a big
0: a big spider?
1: <laughs> what about a real big spider? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I mean, this is—they're essentially ring wraiths who fly around sucking people's <laughs> souls out. So, um, yeah,
0: I mean, I think they're worse than ring wraiths, dude. They're they're awful. They're like, whoa, I don't know about that. They suck people's souls out of their mouth, and like yeah, you, I mean, you become a lifeless corpse. I know.
1: I I don't know. I was I was kind of.
0: I was playing Devil's Life
1: Advocate. <laughs> I don't really have any horse in this race, but uh, I just feel like their their look is sort of inspired by it. Maybe, maybe even more so in the movie. It felt Probably, like they were yeah. leaning into that, like looking making them look like the familiar ring wraith kind of uh, hooded evil figure that we've all grown up with, with in fantasy. Yeah, for sure. I do want to talk a little bit, too, about uh, our new Lupin here, our new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. I love how he's introduced as he's just like, sleeping and and he's uh kind of unimpressive and they're they're talking about him then when this all happens he wakes up and immediately jumps into action and, and rescues them and I don't know I just immediately get a good feeling about this guy but the other books have taught us to not trust it and so I like that this kind of works within its own narrative of like leaning on the fact that he's in this position that has historically been you know had villains in it essentially mm-hmm. and and i don't know it just it, it works really well and, and and i like how there's like this you don't know if you could trust this guy as, as much as you want to trust him because he seems to be doing good stuff you just mm-hmm. don't know if he can so it's cool yeah.
0: lupin is the best i just have to say it up front like before we really get into the stuff that he does i fucking love lupin he's always been he's one cool. of my favorite characters ever
1: yeah well let's get into more of the plot here So, later on, Lupin's Defense Against the Dark Arts sessions prove far better than those of Gilderoy Lockhart. They have a fun lesson on Boggerts and then learn about more dark creatures. When Lupin supposedly falls ill, the much-hated potions master Professor Snape temporarily takes over teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts and torments the class. At Hogwarts, Harry has several problems with the Dementors, including an episode at, at a Quidditch match, during which he faints and falls off his broomstick from high in the air. His broom is blown away and smashed by the Whomping Willow. Working with Harry outside class, Lupin teaches him the Patronus charm to repel Dementors. On an unauthorized visit to the village of Hogsmeade, thanks to the Marauder's Map given to him by George and Fred Weasley, Harry overhears some of his teachers talking with Fudge about Black. They reveal that Black was a friend of Harry's parents and that he betrayed them to give Voldemort access to their house. They also mention that Black killed 12 muggles and his former friend, Peter Pettigrew. Ron and Hermione's friendship later suffers when Ron believes that Hermione's cat, Crookshanks, ate his rat, Scabbers. At Christmas, Harry receives a mysterious present, a Firebolt Broom. Fearing it might be cursed, Hermione reports the gift to, prof- to Professor McGonagall, which leads to more bad feelings between her, Ron, and Harry. Okay, let's stop there. This is a big chunk, covers a lot of stuff. We're in, we're in Hogwarts. We're back. And we're learning about Patronus Charms.
0: A couple of things yeah. that I do want to address that we haven't talked to you up to this point that I feel like we might forget. Um, the night bus is something that I, fo- I always found to be really cool and interesting. Like this idea right. that you could just put your wand out and a bus appears to take you wherever. Um, of course, cool. the wizards would have something like that. It's really awesome. <laughs> um, I also wanted to talk more about Dementors because of this like... They are. We were talking about how scary they are, but they they like this idea that they they suck happiness out of a room and like the heat out of a room and yeah. like they like we talk we'll talk more about it as Harry gets more into his training, but like they like embody fear, like they they like make you think of your worst memory and like all of that is like that I don't know that stuff's literally a fuck it's a nightmare, and yeah. I think that that's what it's a really effective. I guess antagonists in this because they're not really an antagonist as much. as They're just like this force. Yeah, but I guess that that makes them equally scary because they don't really have, you don't really know their motives, like who's telling them what to do kind of thing.
1: You know, they're, they're a really fascinating creature because, and, and the way they work within the story, because they represent this danger that uh, it, it always feels like the wizarding world wants to believe it has under control. Yet we see repeatedly that it does not, right? And so I love the idea that they are these really dangerous creatures used by them to to uh, guard the prisoners in this prison. Yet they're out of they're kind of out of control and they're kind of um, beyond anyone's anyone's control. So in a way, it's like setting up thematic things about like society using like convenient evil to do certain things and like I don't know. I just think there's probably a lot that can be said thematically about where Dementors fit into the society and the idea that I always felt it kind of um, uncomfortable to think about them being something employed by quote unquote the good guys. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it it is, it's like this idea of like, Oh, once they go to prison, they deserve all this torture that these exactly. Dementors are doing to them. And, and it's kind of yeah, it like raises
1: ethical problems. Like, especially what if someone's falsely accused or falsely convicted and they're getting subjected to Dementors. Yeah. And you can draw yeah. a lot of real world comparisons there.
0: Yeah, I want to say that uh, Lupin and Hagrid is the best duo of, of additions to the Hogwarts staff of all time.
1: Yeah, the classes are cool this year. <laughs> Although I got to give it to the Divinations class too. Um, that class of. is a lot of fun to me. I, I don't know. I, I, I love the, the opening um, moments of that class. Where Trelawney is sort of demonstrating her her abilities, and she's going around the class and she's dropping like, oh, yeah, you know, somebody won't be here permanently, and you know, <laughs> she's just like dropping bombshells on these students and terrifying them. And um, I don't know the way she sort of teases Hermione later on too about like her not having a you know a mind that's open to the to the universe and all this stuff. I don't know. I like it. It's cool to see yeah. Hermione struggling with something. Well, um yeah somewhat right and it's not it's just because it's not she
0: doesn't really believe in it it's not she's, concrete she's, she's right like, it's like exactly. it's like abstract magic and she like she's like very like analytical about things and so like for it to be i, I love that they played that off of trelawney like hermione and trelawney
1: yeah and, and introducing a sort of magic that maybe hermione isn't great at which i think is good right because otherwise she's been good at everything so it's cool to show that and Um, And I also like the way she deals with it and the way she kind of goes like well this just isn't for me And she storms out that one time and and actually tells off a teacher which she's never done before Yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves there But yeah, I love the
0: stress that you can see that Hermione is going through through this whole and we've come to find out What it exactly is, but it's just like all the stress like she's going after teachers She's like punching people in the face But uh, I wanted to talk more (laughs) about like the seer aspect of Trelawney being introduced to the story because it's like You know if you introduce a fortune teller in a story like this and they might not be right all of the time, but the fact that they're threading in these like these like predictions and things that are going to happen, it makes it a lot of fun when things come true. Um, yeah. So and and as you know, we'll see throughout these books, Trelawney like actually nails some stuff like a yeah, bunch of times. I, I
1: thought I saw somewhere someone say that like everything she says
0: comes true. I, I think a lot for sure. I, I I don't know exactly everything. I'd have to look into it. But yeah. for sure, a lot of things do come true, which is... yeah. Pretty wild. And it's fun, too, because it's like, as the reader, each time it happens, you're like, oh, she predicted that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Also, did you think at all about our previous project we just did with uh, Arrival? And and we were talking about information traveling backwards through time is -hmm. essentially what prophecy is. I don't know. I just thought it was fun that we're seeing that here immediately. We're getting into the pop culture version of that. and, And this would seem to fall on the side of determinism, because if she's giving accurate predictions that people can't escape right then you must uh, our fate is fixed and you can't escape it
0: well and that's interesting that you say that because the like at the end of arrival you we were talking about how we were going to of our coverage we were going to move into harry potter and you're like something very different and i I had that in my head and as we went into this i was like it's not that different there's a lot of things going (laughs) on in this that are kind of like connecting back to arrival uh yeah, because it's like, you know, time travel is introduced, so it's like, what does that really say for That's true. all of this stuff?
1: <laughs> well, we'll get more into that, um, but so I also want to talk about the Boggart, Um, because if you remember, you, early on in our podcast history, you compared Pennywise to a mm-hmm. Um and finally this is our first Boggart that we've seen in the book series, so I want to talk a little bit about that, and how... Uh, do you still see comparisons there? I mean, I, I guess I can see where you're coming from.
0: I mean, yeah, be, because clearly, like, if, if Penny, I, I think I just meant it in the way that, like, Pennywise sees these kids what they're afraid of and becomes it. So, yeah, like, yeah. like becoming their fears in that way. He's like absolutely. the ultimate
1: Boggart, though, because these ones are pretty easily dealt with, it seems like.
0: Yeah. I think there are similarities in the way that, like, you know, you can defeat both of these things in, in kind of um, non-conventional ways that you wouldn't really think of.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's there's some similar methods employed to combat them. I'll give you that, man. So this is when we get uh, Snape popping up and getting in, and Snape gets put into this dress and mm-hmm. it's actually a bogart, but um, and that's to, to to get the ridiculous thing where everybody laughs. And uh, I don't know. So it's interesting because we are we're also setting up this animosity between Lupin and Snape. And once again, this is a book where Snape is still sort of the antagonist in a lot of ways, but. I think in a lot more believable ways, right? Like Mm -hmm. It's less like, oh, he's actually supremely evil and and working. Like, we know that that's not true for Snape now. But instead, we see Snape um, just being, like, jealous and being um, sort of manipulative and petty. And so we see some of of this stuff, which I think is more fitting for the kind of antagonism that, that Snape can provide to the story.
0: Yeah, I I mean, and I think that we become sympathetic in a way, like we, we once we really get into the the story of everything that goes down, kind of. I don't know. He the way he behaves
1: later is still sort of beyond the pale. I think so.
0: Yeah, I mean, clearly he's reacting in a extreme way. I just think that like it's not like you're saying it's not like he does. Not, he's kind of justified in some ways. Snape um, wants the defense against the dark arts gig. Dumbledore doesn't want him to have it for whatever reason, which. We don't we shouldn't talk about right now? Um, yeah. but so he gives it to Lupin, who clearly would be a fantastic defense against the dark arts. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. and just like you say, the jealousy and like seeing him, like, and then like we learn that Snape is talking about werewolves and like why is he assigning werewolf yeah. work?
1: And a lot of this is baggage from their childhood together, like, right. I don't know, like, that's so it's so interesting to see like these sort of reasons bubbling up in Snape. It makes him more human in a way, too. Like, he. He is capable of, of um, just being jealous and like having leftover things where like, he didn't like somebody as a kid, so now he's not going to like him as an adult. I don't know. Yeah. That all works to me.
0: Uh, so we got to talk about this. The When Harry is, first of all, run past a couple things quickly. The Marauder's Map, in addition to the invisibility cloak, is like the coolest yeah. combo of things well, like, you can do to Hogwarts. Right, a, going a, to Hogsmeade, which is a new location, right? and which is which is great and really cool because it's like Diagon Alley here but it's like they'll like more catered towards the students and it's here at hogwarts so they can go see this cool interesting wizarding world that's not the castle or Diagon Alley. so it's a, you right. know an additional place for them to go it's great um but specifically we need to talk about the conversation that he overhears from fudge right
1: well first off they he's not allowed to go because he doesn't have permission from his family so it's it feels so unjust right like we're on his mm-hmm. side we're like how how can they not let him go? His family's terrible. Of course, they're not going to give him permission. And so she does a great job of making us wish we could go. Like, we really want to go see it. And because we're on we're Harry's point of view, we can't. And so mm-hmm. then finally, when he finds a way to make it there, we're with him and we're really excited that he's used this map and he's used the invisibility cloak to to sneak out there and, and get get to the three three broomsticks where he overhears a very important conversation.
0: Yeah. And I love the the legacy of handing the Marauders map, you know, like Mooney, Padfoot, Prongs and Wormtail like, like them. Like yeah, I just love cool. like I think and I'm sure it's not the first time anyone said it, but just like seeing some some of their adventures, like like hearing some of the stuff they got up to would have been really fun uh if we ever got some sort of like side story but you know this reminds me of a little bit just to tie it to another project we've done what's that
1: um this is in a different sort of way but this reminds me of some of the cool stories we hear about robert's rebellion in Game of Thrones, yeah. yeah, where it's like, oh, I wish we could like get those stories, and like you kind of wish you could see James Potter and Snape and when they were young, and like how that all went down. Like you want to see it and you want to get it, but it also feels like something we're probably not going to get because it's talked about so right. much, and it's the same exactly. thing with *The Rebellion*. You hear so much about it, you're probably not ever going to get the direct account of it.
0: That's exactly it, too. It's like they, I think it's addressed enough. Like their their childhood and everything is addressed enough throughout all the books to kind of give you good context and understand it. And same thing with Robert's rebellion. And you're leaving uh, a little
1: bit of mystery there too, right. which is kind of. By I design, think it's smart. Think. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So, oh, the legacy of handing the Marauders map to Fred and George, though, and them them eventually getting it from like you know nicking it from Filch. Uh, I love because it's just like, of course, these two kids would be perfect to to take on the legacy of the Marauders map and and then to hand it to Harry. I just I don't know. I think it's really fun and and cool and. Uh, When he gets to Hogsmeade, though, we need to talk about the conversation here is because it, it really does the backstory that we've all wondered about a little bit. We've it gives more backstory to everything that went down with Harry's family and everything like we saw very early on in the books, Hagrid on a flying motorcycle showed up to deliver Harry to the Dursleys. We don't know what happened before that. And now we're getting it. So, you know, Pettigrew and like we get this idea of secret secret keepers, which, um, important and you know Sirius would be the obvious secret keeper but they gave it to Pettigrew and and Pettigrew betrayed them and then but we don't know that at the the present yeah
1: right now we're learning that Sirius is the is the villain and and and, and, as a reader you don't have any reason to really disbelieve that at this point um and in fact he's set up to he is essentially serving the same function as the basilisk in the in the previous movie, in that he's lurking around, he's mysteriously doing things, he's this threat that's in the darkness, and oh, maybe it's gonna come out at any time, and maybe he's in the form of somebody or or, or masquerading as somebody we don't know, and he's set up as this monster, and. We don't really have a reason to disbelieve that, right? We think that he is this thing, and that and that's what makes this book cool and different. Is that it? It takes that um, expectation and subverts it, obviously. Yeah. Um, which you know you were talking about, but I, I like that here. It's like it lays out the case for him being awful and dangerous, and Harry believes it, and we believe it. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he kills a bunch of Muggles, and and yeah, and he was the, like Harry learns that he was their his his dad's best friend and he betrayed him it's like, so
1: personal right like we ha- want to hate him too we're like how dare he do that
0: and now we understand why arthur was like don't go looking for black because yeah now we have the full context of like what the wizarding world thinks and it's really funny to think about like the past that that are being dealt with because it's like harry's dealing with a past that he was involved in as a baby but doesn't really was never there but like that would go on to that would go on to like play a part in in the wizarding world. Like everyone thinks Sirius Black is the reason why the Potters are dead, and so it's like this Harry's dealing with this past that's like already built into the world when he's basically born. You know, when he's young, a young kid.
1: Right. Well, following this, we do get the Patronus charm introduced for the first time, and I want to talk a little bit about that because I think it's a big thing going forward. Right. And uh, this is something I think in the previous episodes we talked about our Patronuses. We like looked them up on Harry Pottermore or whatever. I believe mine was a hummingbird. <laughs> Do you yeah. remember what yours was?
0: Yeah, it's a chestnut mare. Okay. Yeah.
1: So I honestly didn't really remember. Like w- I I knew they were like a spell that was mm-hmm. that was useful, but I didn't kind of understand exactly what they were. So it's cool that it gets really described here as a projection of hope, happiness, and the desire to survive. Um, and it's unique to each wizard who conjures it, and they do it by focusing on a happy memory. And like the happier the memory, the more effective it is, and all this stuff. So this is all cool stuff we're learning as as uh, Lupin is is teaching Harry about it, so that he can fight against the Dementors, because that it's like the opposite of a Dementor, who is essentially the polar opposite of that, and then focusing on all the negative emotions, right?
0: Yeah. I, and that clearly sets up kind of like this light versus dark. That's what the Patronus is, is like an embodiment of light. Uh, like you said, hope and happiness. And I was, I, I mean, the Patronus term is such a cool addition to this world. And later there are other uses for it. And I don't know, it's just it, the the idea of like being represented by like this sort of like familiar or like something that like means something to you. I mean, it even in this book. Not to mention, like what it means down for down the line. But like even in this book, what Harry learns that his is and what that represents to him, I think is is like one of my favorite parts of this story.
1: Yeah, no, it really works, and we're setting it up early. Which when I was some of the when I was talking about how meticulously this is crafted, you can see all this playing together, right? A um, couple more things before we get to the next chunk. I want to talk about. First off. I still don't think I'm a big fan of the Quidditch parts of these books. <laughs> um, nothing has really converted me yet. Like there's, there's drama in there. They do a good amount to like m- try and make them interesting. But for the most part, I, I don't know. Some of these parts drag a little bit and I just don't really care that much personally. I And that's probably going to upset people, but that's just how I feel about it.
0: So growing up, I really loved the Quidditch parts, but I do feel myself sometimes now, I I didn't remember this book having... I, this is probably the most Quidditch we get in any of the books. Like I think really? this is the most Quidditch-heavy book, and I did not remember that from the third one. Um, I still enjoy it because, I, I, I don't know, I think it's like maybe it has something to do with the fact that like we've seen the movies and we've seen it a lot in the movies. Yeah. Um, But I, I I loved it growing up. I thought that it was such a fun addition and it, and it does add like a sort of as this, this I think without the Quidditch in this story and without ultimately kind of a spoiler for later, but them winning the Quidditch cup, there's a lot of darkness in this. So like that moment of hope and light and like happiness for Harry and, and it's like all the people around him.
1: Well, and you're also setting up what Cedric Diggory for later. You know, introducing that character.
0: Yeah, if you're a seeker in the Harry Potter universe at Hogwarts, you're an important character at Hogwarts. Like you yeah. are an important character. We got Cho Chang set up. We got Cedric Diggory set up. Harry's a seeker. There are other seekers later on that become important. So yeah. it's just like it's a is Malfoy's Malfoy a Foy seeker. See- yeah, yeah. Seeker, So yeah. all of them are important characters. Cedric Diggory set up. I I love that they set him up in this story as like such a nice. Everybody lo- is in love with him but he's such a nice guy. Like he catches the snitch and it's not fair because Harry fell off and he wants to give it back. He's like, I don't want, this shouldn't have counted. We we need to keep playing yeah, or whatever. Such a Hufflepuff move. Hufflepuff <laughs> move for sure. Uh, I love it. Yeah. I think it's great. Yeah. Um,
1: so speaking of Malfoy, I got sh- him and what he does with the hippogriff and then like taunting the hippogriff, getting, getting, you know, hurt a little bit and then, and then going so far to try and get the hippogriff executed, it's such a heel move. It's like it, it, Malfoy continues to be one of the most reprehensible characters who's taking after his father, we learn, and um I feel like there's a lot of Malfoy love these days, um and I remember in the later parts of the movies, I think he does ch- like kind of do some good things. Um but man, early on, he's just detestable and and we really feel for this hippogriff who's being going to be in, unjustly executed.
0: Yeah, I think it- I think it's interesting that people are so into Malfoy. I understand being, like, like Slytherins in general, I don't think should be painted with a broad brush in the way that like right. a, that you would think, well, like, from the we books. Well, we still don't see a lot evil. of good Slytherins here. Right, <laughs> right. So, like, I don't think that's <laughs> yeah. cool. But, like, ultimately, like, Malfoy is kind of always an asshole to everyone. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so, like, he, I, I, I there are things that happen later, but it's, like, I think maybe the, the movies change people's perception on him a little bit because um, I think that... Maybe he's more likable in the movies. There's maybe less of him being such a, such an asshole. But he's still yeah. clearly the antagonist. Yeah, he still
1: does a lot of this early on. I think it's just yeah. the character goes through some change. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm willing to grant him that. Um, maybe he outgrows some of this stuff.
0: So how about like this firebolt that, that Harry's been like fawning over, and then he gets it in the mail. Did you feel, did you feel like the tension of like, is it bewitched? Is there something wrong with it when they gave it to McGonagall? Did you, and I, I, the other thing is like clearly Ron and Harry are kids, but they're like overreacting to the point that like, they're not talking to Hermione, um, yeah. over the fact that she it, told McGonagall.
1: And it's in like,
0: honestly, Hermione is
1: being the smart one here, right? Like you don't know where this came from. You don't know what could be going on with it. Could be a trap. Um, but this also underlines another reason why I'm not as interested in Quidditch is because it seems like your equipment greatly affects how good you are at the game mm-hmm. which just from like a game perspective bothers me that the idea that you just the more money you spend on your broom and like the if you're if you're more wealthy i guess it's trying to highlight like inequality and like even even permeating into the game but like they need some regulations what are right. regulation brooms everyone needs to be on the same damn broom you know what i mean like you're probably right this yeah fair, this isn't fair the, <laughs> i would on. say that
0: the only time that it's really a huge advantage is like if you're a chaser or if you're a seeker right so right. it's like beaters i guess you could get to a bludger faster or something keepers like i don't know like i just feel like i telling the- you man
1: they need regulation they need to re they need to get in there and get serious about the sport if they want it to be you know respectable regulation broom everyone rides the same equipment that way it's all about skill you don't want people being better just because they got a better broom all right so let's let's move on sorry <laughs> but, I mean, that's like the realist if you were like really doing this as a sport i think you would have to do that but anyway um do you want to talk a little bit more about the broom and mcgonagall i,
0: I was just gonna say that like the i, I think as a kid i was definitely I, I was definitely into it as well because it's just like another cool magical thing that harry's getting he gets the map sure. he gets the he gets the cloak he gets the firebolt his wand is cool like it's just like all the stuff that he gets that when he had nothing in the in the real world
1: yeah, no, I mean, I, I I can see that, and you can understand why he's so excited about it, and then it does, it does suck that it's like, oh, I can't use it right away and all that. All right, let's get into some more plot here. Ron, Hermione, and Harry join the effort to save Hagrid's hippogriff, Buckbeak, from being executed for attacking Malfoy. Their efforts are unsuccessful, but Scabbers reappears shortly after they hear Buckbeak being executed. Ron chases Scabbers, only to be attacked by a big black dog, which Harry has seen several times before... It's like thinking it's the Grim, The dog drags Ron through the tunnel under the Whomping Willow into the Shrieking Shack. Harry and Hermione follow, and there is a brief standoff where they find Ron with Sirius Black, who is transformed from the dog. Lupin enters, and they explain the situation to Harry and his friends. Lupin is a werewolf, which leads to his friends James Potter, Sirius Black, and Peter Pettigrew becoming animagi. Lupin explains that Scabbers is Pettigrew in his animal form... He has been hiding from Black, whom he had framed for betraying Harry's parents and murdering 12 Muggles. Snape arrives to apprehend Black, but Harry, Ron, and Hermione knock him unconscious with the Expelliarmus charm. Lupin and Black transform Pettigrew back into human form and prepare to kill him, but they are stopped by Harry as he feels his father would not have wanted it. He convinces them to send Pettigrew to Azkaban instead. As they move back towards Hogwarts, Lupin turns into a werewolf and becomes violent. Pettigrew escapes again, and Black prevents Lupin from attacking the others in werewolf form. After trying to escape from the werewolf, Harry and Black reach a lake where the Dementors approach them. Harry tries to use the Patronus charm, but fails while Black is on the verge of getting the Dementors' kiss when suddenly a stag of silver appears at the other end of the lake and over a hundred Dementors are forced to run away. Harry thinks it was his father who had cast the perfect Patronus charm, but soon he faints. Okay, another big chunk there. Uh, let's talk about this uh this re- I, I guess really let's focus on the black and and uh Lupin and all the reveals that we're about to get here um there's a lot of them
0: yeah I mean these reveals are are crazy this is this is really the all the mystery unraveling I think we've talked before about how it seems like the Harry Potter books are all mystery books really like it's yeah. like why At did least, this happen especially these early happen? ones and and this one is very like it's like w- the things are unraveling before us and and the way that like some of the some of the Characters are ahead of us the reader and Harry and and the kids Um, like Lupin when he when he runs in um, I don't know. I just find it to be really engaging I think it's 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 such a like from here until the end of the book is just like action 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 heart-pounding like reveals and things and I I think it all has built to this and it's great climax Um, I want to talk about the the animals a little bit uh, specifically the the fact that like all of these people become Animagus and it's set up by McGonagall being an Animagus as a cat like, in the first yeah. book, basically, but we don't really understand it at that point. And then we learn how rare it is. There's only, like, a few who've done it over a certain number of years. Um, and we learn that, like, James, Sirius, and Peter all become, like, undercover. Like, they're kind of, like, not on the books. It, it's, uh, I think, one of the cooler powers, right? Like it's, not like, it's not like we haven't seen that sort of power in a fantasy book before. But the way it fits in and the way that they're, like, it's, like, oversaw by the by the Ministry of Magic like the fact that like they they know who who's an animagus and who isn't and then like just it's almost like taking your patronus into like a actual form right like you're like what do I right. want to become and i also just love this idea of all of them doing this for lupin right and it took mm-hmm. them years of practice and study to to figure it out and and they would they would however dangerous it was they would patrol the grounds and and like they would keep him in check a werewolf in check like I don't know. It makes for a fun, interesting fantasy setup.
1: Yeah, it's cool. And the idea of these all being friends and like, this was a thing they did to hang out with their friend. And I did... one thing that was a little frustrating, but I like, I understand why it is, but, um, there's so many times when, uh, Sirius is like, he just won't say the thing he needs to say. to yeah. Defuse the situation. Right. And like the first thing that happens is, is per- Harry Potter's like, you killed my parents. And he's like, yeah, I did. <laughs> and or something like that it's essentially he just kind of agrees to it he's like yeah I sure did and then like later on he's like i didn't mean I directly killed him i meant i led to their death and like that is the worst thing you could say in that moment dude like you have yeah. to realize how that's gonna sound it's there for the and drama then, of it
0: obviously for the story but yeah it's yeah. like it's it's yeah, pretty yeah. pretty crazy to think of like a real world scenario where you're just like yeah I killed them but I didn't really <laughs> yeah
1: well then also he keeps saying let me exp- just let me explain just let me explain he says like five times and it's like just say the thing damn it yeah. <laughs> just like don't say let me explain just say the thing you need to say right. um and like several characters i feel like do this lupin does it a few times so oh, let us explain let us just say the thing
0: <laughs> just get <Yeah>. it
1: out <laughs> it's so important to just say it yeah and um, it took
0: him like giving their wands back for them to actually trust him to tell the yeah. story
1: i will say that that all of that was cool there was a lot of tension there it went on longer than it does in the movie but we get more information It felt like to me
0: I was gonna say the the, this all happens within the last like four chapters or something It's very efficient and I feel like it's like a third of the movie Maybe it's like a it's a fourth of the book, I guess anyway But you know fifth of the book.
1: I don't know. I I don't remember the movie that well I guess I gotta it felt to me like we were getting more info though We were learning more about what their friendship was like. We're learning more about what they're what they were doing with snape and um with each other, and and like the situation where like the Whomping Willow was created to like keep people from getting attacked by the werewolf by Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. And the shrieking
0: that. Shack was set up in Hogsmeade yeah. for yeah, cool. literally the werewolf. I, I, yeah, I think it's all really cool.
1: And then yeah, we get Snape show up, and you know he, he right when people are starting to understand what's going on, and that maybe Sirius Black isn't this big villain. Snape shows up and, and, uh, starts blasting everybody and he wants he's gonna, he's gonna take everybody in and immediately send, uh, Sirius to the Dementors and he's not listening to reason. And then he gets nailed by our three characters who I think all at the same time hit him with the Expelliarmus charm, uh, or, or spell. Uh, that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. It fluctuates in, in intensity, I guess. It's always interesting to me to see what Expelliarmus is, is capable of because it's a disarming like spell and yet if 3 of them hit you at the same time apparently you go flying and get knocked out. Yeah. Like it disarms the hell out of you. It disarms your feet from the ground. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's a really uh good way to disarm somebody, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um man, the uh the injustice of what's happened to Sirius Black is really driven home here too. Right? Like he's spent 12 years in Azkaban being being constantly like I mean, I guess he was able to resist a lot of the Dementor stuff, but they were there and they were trying. Right. And he was forced to just like, I mean, he was driven, almost driven mad, but somehow was able to persist through that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know that he was framed and, and and everybody still has it out for him. And even by the end of the book, like the truth isn't really revealed to the larger society. Everybody still thinks he's this this vile person and... I don't know, like like I said, like that really plays with like a, a, a more serious concept, a more serious theme of injustice and like it just it just works and, and I like that here and it um I guess I, I think while I was reading these sections I could feel more of the reason that people really like serious black here yeah. than I necessarily did in the movie. Yeah. Um I, I it came across more
0: strongly. There's so much of it like him saying that like you're like your father um, all of these things where he says he's his godfather and like he could, he could stay with him and all that stuff. It just like it makes you hope for like a different a different you know home life for Harry. But uh, I I love the explanation of how Sirius kind of avoids the and escapes Azkaban. I love that he became the dog in order to like not be as affected by the Dementors. And then eventually, yeah. like, he he was able to escape.
1: That's tough, man. You know what I mean? Like, I, I keep picturing, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling trying to plot this. And uh, she had to have a way for for him to be able to escape from this prison that no one can escape from. And right. it had to make sense. And it had to play into his character. And just the way everything works um, in this plot is, is really impressive to me.
0: So when all this happiness is going on and Harry's, like, realizing, like, yeah. oh, my Godfather is actually a good guy and he's here and I can stay with him. Um, yeah, Peter Pettigrew, everything starts to go down, right? Like the, like Lupin becomes werewolf a werewolf, turns, which yeah. like sucks cause he didn't take his wolf's pain. And then, yeah. and then that is an, is a way for Pettigrew to get away while Sirius is trying to handle, uh, Lupin. And then we get this like horrific scene later of, of like Sirius, like is the dog, but the dementors are coming down on him and he becomes human again. Um, and he's been beaten up by a werewolf. Because uh, before it took Prongs and and Padfoot, right? So it took it took James Potter and Sirius Black to, to handle the, the werewolf, and you're thinking like, oh, so he has to go up by himself. Uh, you know, he takes some takes some bites and that, and so he's kind of weakened already. All these Dementors start coming down on him, and the and the kisses being being given, and Harry can't complete his his uh, Patronus, right? He can't he can't deter all these things, and and thinking that he sees his dad, I always felt was a really strong strong point because it's like right. not possible and at the point that we're at in the story we're like what the hell is how like what is going on who did this yeah who
1: who is this mystery person who showed up to save them in the last minute and yeah yeah more mysteries like you think you've gotten all the reveals but you haven't there's still it feels more like
0: come. the end of the story right like it just like right. it's like if it was if it was book one or book two we would have saved sirius got Pettigrew to, to Azkaban. Sirius is now his godfather and Harry stays with Sirius now or something like it, It's like definitely more of happy endings. I feel like in the first yeah, yeah. two and this one but like really we, yeah. changes that. Yeah,
1: it really does. It's almost like a fourth, you know, a fourth act here is coming or a, 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 it was like a false ending followed by the real ending. So let's get into what happens there. So when they wake up in the hospital, Harry, Ron and Hermione are told that black has been sentenced to receive the Dementor's kiss, which removes the soul of the recipient. Dumbledore advises Hermione and Harry to use Hermione's Time Turner, a device she has been using to double up on classes. This permits them to go back in time and save Buckbeak. Harry goes to the other side of the lake to see his father casting a spell, but as he sees the life being sucked out of black in his own past self, he moves ahead and casts the perfect Patronus charm, realizing that it was himself who did it earlier and not his father. Later, Harry and Hermione ride on Buckbeak and reach the top tower where Sirius is held to help him escape. Harry and Sirius have a moment where Harry is told that Sirius is his godfather, and then Sirius climbs on Buckbeak, who carries Black away to safety. Harry and Hermione reach the hospital wing where they find Dumbledore, telling him that they have completed the task. As they enter, a confused Ron looks on as Harry and Hermione, from the past, disappear in front of him, and present, and the present ones enter from the door. Sadly, Snape lets slip that Lupin is a werewolf, leading to his resignation. Harry visits Lupin before he leaves, and as they say goodbye, Lupin is certain that they will meet again. Harry, Ron, and Hermione travel to King's Cross safely while Harry gets Sirius's permission to visit Hogsmeade and Ron gets his own owl. Okay, so that wraps up the end of the book here, but let's 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 talk about it. Let's react to it. What uh first off, the reveal of the times turner as the thing that Hermione's been using to go back and and take additional classes. Um, this is a hotly debated topic. I'm, I'm sure you're well aware on the internet and, and in in the Harry Potter fandom and and people outside, I I think the Harry Potter fandom, Mm -hmm. um, what are, what are your thoughts on the time turner? Does it break, does it break the world? Does it break our, 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 our believability in as far as like things that go on in the future where they don't use the time turner, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think that the, so, I mean, the main argument obviously being eventually when things go down they there's like a line in one of the books that says like all of the time turners had been destroyed so yeah. like the, so like the time turners were destroyed that's not to say somebody couldn't just make a time turner but right. it seems like the very the very like specific rule that everybody knows and like i think the wizards are aware of is like you know if you mess with your own timeline, like something bad can happen. Like Hermione is like against it. Yeah, Everyone's... but
1: Hermione's doing it for such a s- stupid, trivial reason. I mean, it's not, I like, guess it's not stupid. Just go back. I mean, I think she it's wants a cool reason. to take reason. more classes and she's yeah. using it for that. It's cool. But if, it, if it's like, it's hard to be, it's hard for them to tell us you have to treat this so seriously and the risk of f- messing up the timeline is so significant. Yet we, Hermione's been doing it all year long.
0: Well, it's like she, she. I think, yeah, it's interesting because it's like she's in on it, right? Like if she, if both of herselfs know that the time turner is a thing that's being used. Then it's like then we just don't interact with each other, don't be seen in the same timeline or anything. Then it should be fine.
1: It seems like it's a it's quite a risk. Is all you know? Definitely. What
0: I mean? Look, the introduction of time travel to any story is going to complicate things. Obviously, it does. Do I think it? Do I think it works pretty well for this instance for this story on its own? For sure. The idea that they don't create more time turners to undo some things that happen later in the future. Definitely, yeah. It feels like it breaks it a little bit. But uh, yeah. for the sake of this story, I think it's fine. For, and we can talk about more time turner, like times we could have used a time turner in future Harry Potter books.
1: Yeah, and I'll be looking for that 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 moment w- that you said where they said that they were destroyed because I'm curious, like, who destroys them for what reason? At what point? What, what could have been undone? Right. Okay, but yeah, let's talk about the way it works in this novel. And I think it does work well. We see this... I always love, like, a tightly crafted time travel story. We see a bit of that here where the the way the hippogriff the thud and how it was set up it's like oh it could have been the head falling off but it also could have been the axe getting lodged in the wood um you know in the execution so like it's set up to be like this maybe the first time through we already saw it that's how he saw himself do it because like it already happened all that and that's hard to plot you know what i mean And and that's something you have to you have to really meticulously craft so that it all makes sense and it all holds up. And I think it does here, and um, for the most part. And, and I think it works. It's cool to see them save Buckbeak, because Buckbeak's death, by the way, hits hard in the book. Um, it's brutal. And and the idea that, like, what Hagrid's doing, like, every, every time he's like, oh, he needs to, you know, see the sun again, and I wanted him to have a good last few moments. Like, all of that stuff is heartbreaking. Right. Then he dies, you know, and we think he just, like the hippogriff is not saved the hippogriff is executed so that's a super dark moment and then like later on we retcon it and we do save the hippogriff but we have to sit with that for a while you know and uh i don't know it's just uh, it's all cool and it's it's definitely different than what we've gotten in previous right
0: it's like it's like leaning into the darkness of of like what can happen and and i think that that's a lot of what this is is like We're talking about murderers. We're talking about people who are killing muggles, innocents. We're talking about, you know, innocents like Buckbeak being executed for for what? Because some rich, you know, some rich kid had his dad kill him and. And like we're yeah. left to just like live with that as readers, and even like think of you can think of like the younger readers are like, holy crap, like they killed Buckbeak. That's that's crazy. Yeah. And then ultimately, like it is a Harry Potter story. It is one of the earlier ones, so we do we are able to save Buckbeak, which is great. And I think that that's like the right move for the story. I don't know if Hagrid could have could have dealt if, if uh, Buckbeak had actually been killed because um, it seemed like he was taking it pretty tough.
1: So yeah, we we see Harry uh, delivers this amazing. Patronus. And, and I like that we get the inside of his mind where he's like, he's thinking about his life now that he's going to be able to live with his godfather, And, like, how happy he felt in that moment. And that's kind of, it seems to me like that's what kind of gives him the ability to get this really powerful Patronus. Yeah, I I like that. Um, It's cool. It's
0: like, so the the spell is difficult. And we know that because of all the time, trial and error that Harry had with it. And I think it's interesting that, like, the thing that really sells it is he keeps going through different memories. Like, at first, it's like the first time he wrote a, a, a broomstick. And that wasn't powerful enough. And he's thinking about, like, winning the Quidditch Cup. That wasn't powerful enough. And it ultimately comes to something that's, like, really deep within him. To say like i want to you know a better life like this this is gonna be my better life now and um i also love the the line of like i knew that i could i could do it because i already did does that make any sense you know what i mean he's like i knew i could cast it because (laughs) i'd already done it i'd already seen myself do it does that make any sense
1: yeah that's that is that weird time travel paradox kind of stuff getting introduced there for sure yeah and so gryffindor wins the house cup again big surprise
0: (laughs) third year running well this is the first time they win the quidditch cup i think
1: right but then they also win the house thing for the third year in a row so you know gryffindor domination continues um where are my ravenclaws at come on (laughs) (laughs) cho chang Um, dude you got
0: cho chang in this one
1: yeah and um and trelawney too right Yeah. yeah she's pretty cool uh you know, I, I like that, like kind of like knowledge beyond knowledge kind of stuff that. And that well, she we, didn't, to the table we didn't, we didn't even
0: really talk that much about like the. She totally nailed it, right? So the the Dark Lord's servant will be will be will run back to him. Basically, was what her prophecy was when Harry was leaving after the exam. Um, right. Totally nailed it. We, you know, what's and I love that, like as the reader, we're thinking serious, and then once you get to it, it's Pettigrew gets away. Um, and like the, the, the restraint that they had to have to not like try to find Pettigrew in some way when they were in the second time they were in the scenario after using the time turner, when yeah. like they were having to watch themselves like struggle with the werewolf and Pettigrew gets away.
1: Yeah. Well, and also I like that Harry takes mercy on him. And then we learned that there's going to be some sort of link where, where maybe it's it, honestly, it reminded me of the, uh, it really reminded me of the Gandalf and Gollum moment, right? Where Frodo, we should have killed him long ago. And don't be so quick to deal out death or, you know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. it, he still has a part to play in the story. Right. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of that, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then, I mean, the story ends in like a really, really dark way because it's like, she, she predicted that the servant would return to the master and the master would be, would basically come back. And so, you know, Harry's talking to Dumbledore about that at the end of the year. And Dumbledore is like, yeah, he's like kind of, j- you kind of just think that he already figured that this would happen eventually. Um, yeah. And he's kind of just like, yeah, well it's happening. And, um,
1: and, and then we get the cool ass letter from, from Sirius, right. Yeah. It comes on the owl and, and I love that he's like, you have my permission to go to Hogsmeade cause I'm your, your godfather. And I don't know this, again, it shows why people like Sirius so much. Um, he gives and, the bird to really,
0: roam.
1: yeah, you really feel Harry's like love for this man who's, although, you know, it's like he can't cause he has to be in hiding and stuff. But you feel like the connection they have and it's like, finally, Harry has someone who cares about him and and wants to be there for him as far as like a family member. Definitely. Um, It all really works and and it's setting up things that happen later, which we, I don't want to get into yet because we're just going to focus on this book, but... um, it's, again, it's, it's, it's cool to see that relationship, just the foundation set so strongly.
0: Definitely. And that's why, like you said, like, I think every Harry Potter fan loves Sirius Black, everybody loves Lupin, like, like, these characters are built to be like, I mean, I think, barring the stuff that we know, like, we know that, like, they did some things that weren't, you know, that weren't necessarily the best in school. And like, I feel like everybody has some things that they think of. And they're like, Oh, I should have, you know, should have done so. Shouldn't have been this way or that way. But the, clearly, they were bullies. And, um, but it does seem like deep down, like he had good friends. Like Sirius is a good guy. Lupin's a good guy. They seem to be, um, you know, they seem to be what Harry needs at this point. And so, like this kid who's been through so much to see him like start to form this network. You know, you've got the Weasleys now. You've got he he just started. He started to spread his family circle out. And I think that it's it's good for the readers to to see Harry. You know doing better i guess
1: yeah well and we leave the way we leave it at the end where harry's like i have this dangerous godfather who's going to be checking on me and he is using it to sort of uh browbeat the the dursleys into mm-hmm. maybe not being as awful to him we'll see how that plays out in the next book <laughs> i have a feeling it's not going to be successful but i don't know i don't remember he's also going to spend some time with the weasleys right actually yeah the, the no.
0: world cup Quite a yeah so
1: so that's probably something to look forward to in the next book i assume Maybe I, You know, a lot of this stuff, it's all runs together. and I don't remember like when things happen and, and, and yeah. all that. So I, I, it is kind of cool revisiting this world and this, these stories. And yeah. um, I think reading the books, honestly, and seeing the films in, a, in combination really is the way to experience this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I only ever saw the movies, like it's tough for me. It was tough for me to hold it all in my head and like remember who's who's who, what relationship they have to Harry and all that because it's just like less time to sit with it when you're seeing it in a movie. Um, so I'm curious, like I, I would want to know the percentage of Harry Potter fans who are like love Harry Potter who haven't read the books. Yeah, you know I, I mean? mean I think like,
0: there's what, a lot out there for sure.
1: There's there's a lot, but what's the percentage? You know, because like mm-hmm. with Game of Thrones, I think it's 90 percent people who've never read the books. It feels like really? to me, like it's yeah. most people have not read the books who love that show. But with Harry Potter, I don't know. It it feels like it's it's a lot higher percentage of people who actually read these books.
0: I honestly think it depends on, and like, you know, this is just me painting with a broad brush, but I think it depends on where you are at with the release of the books versus the release of the movie. I think the younger generation probably who was like growing up and was my age when the books were coming out, they are th- they were my age when the movies were coming out, if that makes sense. yeah. So like they are like six or seven as these movies are coming out, two, three, four are coming out. And they were like, that was how they were introduced to it. I think that that might be a significant portion of people who are like huge Harry Potter fans probably were just movie only because that wasn't know.
1: there. I don't think my age is purely the reason because I think as I, if I had been older than I was, I probably would have been more open to it. The problem is it hit me at a time in which I was desperate to show like that I wasn't a kid anymore. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm 13 and that means I'm basically an adult and you know what I mean? And like, I was so desperate to like things that were above my age, not below my age. And, Um, because of that, I had this kind of dislike for it, even though it was fantasy and it was something I should have liked. Um, whereas I feel like if I, like later on in life, I probably would have thought of it differently. You know what I mean? I would have been more open to it. Um, so I think a lot of people who were older loved it and loved, you know, and, and went back and read these books and, and reminisced about their childhood and got those feelings of like, what it was like to go to school for the first time and, and, and not know, you know, make your first friendships and have your first romances and, you know, all that stuff, which we're going to get into probably more in later books, but that's all, that's all important stuff. And, and I think it works for adults as well as kids. And that's why it's, this is a universally loved, um, for the most part, you know, uh, series and, and, you know, it's cool to see it to me. I, I, again, I feel like this is the series hitting, hitting its stride and really is starting to come into its prime. Right, and That's I mean,
0: cool. I think we're going to see that with the movie next week as well. Um, right. Alfonso Cuaron directed. I'm yeah. so excited. I mean, I, I, just say it here. Like, he sets the tone. Like, he changes yeah. the tone, and I think he sets it for the rest of the series. So, uh, yeah. I'm excited to get into that. Do you want to say... Do you have any, like, final thoughts on on the book that you want to I think I just out? gave him. Okay. <laughs> you know, so, that, was, that was mine. I just wanted to say, like, how much I loved going back and reading it again. It, it very clearly is just, like, such a huge part of my life. Um, yeah, it's like... I Having not, this is one of the ones that I hadn't read in a long time, even though it tends to be probably one of my favorites. Yeah, I think that like what I said early on about the introspection is something that really stood out to me because it is like the the changing of of uh, maybe moving from childhood to adolescence, and I think that all really works for the story, and and I just love seeing this like passing of the torch from like young Harry to like more rebellious like you know, what, what's going to come eventually from, from his story. So, um, yeah, it was so much fun to cover. I'm excited to get into the movie as always. I think it's going to be hard to not read four right away because it's just like these (laughs) books, they set it all up for you and you're just so excited to read the next one, but we will be back to Harry Potter eventually. We've
1: been doing it like once a year, you know, we've been doing it once a year so far. Um, I don't know if that's going to continue to be our rate. We might increase it at some point. We'll see. Um, but yeah, if you're a Harry Potter fan, definitely check out our previous episodes we did on the other two and then, uh, check come, come back next week. We hope, cause we're going to be, we're going to be going into this again with the movie. Yeah.
0: There's a lot to dig into with this movie. I think there's a lot to, to talk about there. So I'm excited.
1: I just wanted to shout out, uh, our patron Jamie D who just increased her pledge, uh, up to the level of jukebox hero and that's awesome. She is now going to be getting a token every month that she can put into the jukebox and start uh, commissioning projects of her own choosing. So that's awesome. If you wanted to find out anything about our Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash to film. Lots of different levels um, from, from $1 and up. And we hope you check that out.
0: Yeah, thank you, Jamie. We're really looking forward to see, seeing what you put your tokens towards so that we can we can cover something new soon. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at InktoFilm, and join our Council of Inklings. We post polls. We post all kinds of news based on books that are being adapted and everything like that. So come join.
1: Absolutely. And if you wanted to support this podcast and you don't want to become a patron, there's another way to do it, and that's tell a friend, uh, tell somebody who loves these books or loves books and adaptations in general, and post about it online you know, uh, leaving us a rating and review on whatever podcatcher app you use is always helpful. So any of that, we would much appreciate it and help us to continue to grow. Um, you know, we're a, we're a self-run indie cast that, uh, we, we live and die based off of these reviews and word of mouth and all of that. So, yeah. you know, help us out.
0: I know everybody listening has a friend who likes Harry Potter. So show that <laughs> yeah. friend, maybe our, maybe start with our Sorcerer's stone coverage. It really helps out the podcast, honestly. So we, we appreciate that. We wanted to thank Goblins from Mars for the use of our intro and outro music, which I think is especially fitting this week with the whole Expecto Patronum theme. Uh, (laughs) And thank you to Jennifer Delazano for providing our transcripts.
1: Absolutely. All right, man. Uh, Let's just get into it. Let's get into next week. I'm ready to go watch this thing. Uh, So we'll be back seven days. See you then. Until
0: next time. Thanks for listening.